Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So before I start today, I want to share some exciting things that are coming up at Collective. And while we're going to put them into our announcements, we'll we'll throw them up on social media as the time comes. I wanted to share them all with you at once so you kind of know the cool things that are happening over the next few months. And we're actually going to have a slide pop up. And I would encourage you to take out your phone and snap a picture so you can kind of keep track of what's going to happen over the next few months at Collective. The first is this. Uh, In just a few weeks, Collective turns one, uh, which is just incredible. Like, we almost made it to our first birthday. I keep saying almost because I was like, we made it to our first birthday. I'm like, we still have four weeks left. So, uh, But we turn one. And so on September 16th, we're going to celebrate our first year as a church. Uh, we're going to hear some stories from people who are part of Collective, um, as well as talk about what we believe God is doing in this church and, and moving us forward to doing. Uh, there might also be cupcakes. So if you're like not interested in the story part, come for the cupcakes. They're made by somebody who actually is a baker, and they will be incredible. But you won't want to miss that. So September 16th, that's our first birthday. Come celebrate that with us. A few weeks after our first birthday, we're hosting an event that's called Generosity Feeds. And so on, on Sunday, October 7th, we're going to package 10,000 meals for kids right here in our community that are food insecure. And so specifically, that is a Sunday, and that Sunday, that will be church. And so we're going to deck this place out with tables. We're going to come in here. We're actually going to package these meals. This won't be set up this way. Um, there, kids four and above are allowed to participate. There will be space for kids uh, under four back in Collective Kids. But it's an opportunity for us to actually be the church, right? Not just be in this space doing church. And so those 10,000 meals will then be split up. They'll be brought to Blessings in a Backpack, which supports uh, about 15 schools in our community, as well as right here in this school where 50% of the kids are food insecure. And everything additional will go to the Frederick Rescue Mission. And so in order to do that, we actually will have to have you sign up ahead of time. And we're not going to do sign-ups today. I want to kind of give you like the, like prime the pump for that. Next week, we'll officially announce sign-ups. You'll be able to sign up here or online. Uh, And our goal is to have 250 people to come help us pack these meals. And so if you're new, we'd love for you to come back. If you've been coming to Collector for a while, this is a great way to invite somebody to come check out uh, this church and see these people and and bump into people not in kind of this setting. But we did this last year. We were able to do 10,000 meals for our community before we ever launched as a church. And so this was something we wanted to do again. So make sure you mark your calendar for October 7th. The following Sunday, and we announced this officially last week, the following Sunday on October 14th, we're launching a second service here at Collective. And so we're going to host two services in this space at 9 a.m. and 10.30, and it's going to be awesome. To make it even better, we're going to start a brand new series that week that's all about healthy relationships called Bad Blood. And there's actually a special twist to this series that I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's the cliffhanger. you got to come back. Uh, my one hint, though, is that the special twist involves the band. So most of you are now enticed to come back to check that out. But we're going to kick that off when we launch two services. And then in November, we're actually going to have our first... Uh, sermon series on generosity, and we're going to have a really cool opportunity to love this school right here. Um, And then in December, we're actually doing a series called Christmas Carols, which we did last year, where we take a Christmas carol that you sing all the time, and you probably have no idea why you're singing it. And we actually take it, we dig into what does it mean, how does it relate to God, how does that relate to the Bible, and we try to create new meaning or even the original meaning back to it of these songs. And, And during that, we'll also have our Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve services as well. More details about those are to follow. 
And so the reason why I want to share all this with you now is because, uh, one, I'm, I'm very excited about what's happening at Collective. And two, we're about to go into this really awesome season where I think if you dig in and you spend time here and you make Collective a priority, that you're going to see as a church, we're going to have fun. We're going to make a huge impact on our community. And hopefully all of us start taking steps closer to God. So make sure to, to screenshot that, take it, we'll announce it. But we'd love for you to participate in those with us and just continue to be this church that is trying to change this city uh, for, the, for good. So when my wife and I were first married, we moved up to Cleveland, Ohio for a year. And I worked in a church plant and she was a manager at Starbucks. One afternoon, Ray called me and said that a few of her coworkers were going to Af- Applebee's after work and she asked if I wanted to join them. So I'm an introvert, so I did not want to join them at all, like not even a little bit, but I said yes, newly married, that's what you do. So around 7 p.m., I drove over to meet her at Applebee's, and I parked in the parking lot, and I started to get really nervous. I didn't know any of her work friends, and to be honest, walking into social, social situations where I don't know people is like legitimately my nightmare. So I called my wife, and I'm trying to get her to meet me at the door so she can help me walk into this space, but she doesn't answer. So I call again, rings, still no answer. And that was when that little voice inside my head started to go nuts. That was when the chatterbox started. It was saying, come on, Michael, what's wrong with you? You don't have the guts to just walk in? Rachel's probably not answering because she doesn't really care about you. Think about it, she knows these types of situations stress you out, but she's probably tired of dealing with your weird social anxiety. Besides, she's probably having more friends with her friends than she would have with you anyways. You could just walk in. We'd probably walk around looking like a fool to all of her friends. They start to wonder, why is she with him? He's not a good enough husband to be with her. Speaking of not being a good enough husband, when was the last time you took your wife out on a date or bought her flowers? You don't even know how to love your wife well. Do you know what else you don't do well? Ministry. You can't even lead a small group of people. How do you think you're going to lead a church one day? You'll probably screw that up too. Speaking of screwing things up, just wait until you have kids. You aren't a strong enough person or a follower of Jesus or husband to be a good parent. After all, you can't even walk into Applebee's to meet your wife for dinner. And so the chatterbox goes. Wherever I go, this voice is always with me. It's a voice of doubt. It's a voice of condemnation. It's a voice of discouragement. It creates insecurity, it creates anxiety, and it creates fear. And so in this series, we're gonna talk about how we have a choice. We have a choice to either listen to the chatterbox or listen to the voice of God. Check this out. This is how Jesus actually describes Satan in the Bible in John 8, 44. He says this. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that everything that is false, everything that is a lie, ultimately comes from Satan. Satan is the father of lies. He is the chatterbox. But contrast that. This is how Jesus actually describes himself in John 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus is truth. Everything that is true ultimately comes from Jesus. The word that's most often used to describe Satan in the Bible is the word adversary. An adversary is someone's opponent in a contest or in a conflict or a dispute. Now contrast that with the word that Jesus uses to describe his spirit, 
who he promises will come to live inside of those who put their faith in Jesus and are baptized. And that word is advocate. An advocate is a person who publicly supports someone. An advocate is a supporter, a backer, and a champion for someone. And so we have a choice. Are we going to listen to Satan or Jesus? Are we going to listen to the adversary or the advocate? Because the voice you believe will determine the future that you experience. I'm going to say that again because that's one of the core truths of, this, of the next four weeks. The voice you believe will determine the future you experience. I got inspired to do this series a few years ago when I was working for a church and I was helping them with their sermon writing. It's actually based off a book with the same title. And so I'd encourage you, if over the next few weeks this series speaks to you, go find Crash the Chatterbox and read the whole book. And so throughout this series, I'm going to use some of the ideas from the book, combine them with my own teaching. But our goal in this series is to break free from the chatterbox that's constantly chirping in our ear. And kick off this series, we're going to start today by talking about insecurity. I personally think that everyone on the planet struggles with insecurity in one way or another. Insecurity is that feeling you get when you walk into church for the first time and you wonder, will anyone care that I'm here? It's the feeling you get when you put on that dress or those jeans and they're a bit tighter than they used to be and you immediately start comparing yourself to your sister or your friends. It's the feeling you get when your boss calls you into his office and you can't help but think you botched the big project. It's when you go scrolling through social media and you start thinking that everyone around you has their life together, but you seem lost. When you're a student and you walk into the cafeteria on the first day of school and you wonder, is anyone going to sit with you? When you're in public and your kid has a meltdown, it's the worst fit they've ever thrown and everyone in Chick-fil-A is staring at you. Not that I know how that feels. But we all struggle with insecurity. If we're honestly being open and real about ourselves, we would say we have insecurity. There's a story in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, that shows us how to defeat insecurity with the truth that God speaks. And so in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the universe. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates man and woman and places them in the Garden of Eden. And then chapter 3 happens. This is how it begins. Now the serpent was more crafty than any, other wild animal, any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This is where our insecurity starts. It's when the adversary asks you, did God really say? And the adversary gets us questioning the intentions of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. There are two main influences for our insecurity in our lives. One is the world, the other is religion. The world or society teaches us that we are nothing more than an accident, that we're a random collection of atoms and that's all we are, nothing more. The world tells us that we don't matter, that there is no purpose to life, there is no eternal significance, and the natural place that leads us is insecurity. The other influence is religion. Religion teaches us that we're evil, that we have to make up for how bad we are. But the problem occurs when we realize that we can't make up for our past mistakes. We can't go back in time to fix those things. We can't change the situations where we've made poor decisions. We can't change the times in the past that we've hurt people. We can't change the evil thoughts that we have now. And that leaves us stuck. It leaves us insecure. It is true that we have sin in our lives. We all miss the mark when it comes to the way God wants us to live. We're not perfect. However, that's not the foundational truth of your life, even though religion teaches that it is. 
Here is the foundational truth for your life. And it's going back to Genesis, starting in uh, chapter one, verse 27. This is what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Jumping forward a little bit, it says this. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. You are made in God's image. That is the foundational truth for your entire life. It's the foundational truth of how you see yourself is that you're an accident, then nothing truly matters. It's the foundational truth of how you see yourself is that you're evil, then you're just a screw up. But if the foundational truth of how you see yourself is that you are divinely crafted by the creator of the universe with intentionality and creativity and purpose and care, that will transform how you think about yourself and how you interact with this world. God said you are made in his image and you are very good. And some of you, if you simply embrace that truth and that alone, this series will change your life forever. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a screw up. You are made with a purpose. Your destiny is to have good done in and through you because you are made in God's image. But the adversary comes along and he says, did God really say Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? Well, if you know the story, you know that's not what God actually said. Here's what God said. He said, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God didn't say they couldn't eat from any tree, just one tree. But in response to the serpent's question, Eve actually misquotes God. Check this out. In Genesis 3, she says this. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Becky Pippert said that Eve is the first legalist. She put a rule where God didn't put a rule, and Satan knew right then and there that he had her. God didn't say don't touch it, or you will die. You've added that. You see, the adversary questions God's word, then he denies God's word, and then he reverses it. And I want you all to realize something. In that moment, Eve didn't know God's word. She didn't know it as well as she should have. And so if you know God's word, that will change your security. It will change how you view yourself. It will change how you treat yourself and take care of yourself because you will learn that you are important, that you are unique, that you are loved by God and he thinks you are good. For those of you who are here and would say that you're investigating Jesus, my plea to you is that you don't reject him based on what you've been told by other people or what you've heard from other people. Jesus is far too important. Jesus is far too powerful in your own life. The stakes are far too high to reject him on hearsay. And so if you're here and you're investigating Jesus, but you're not actually reading the Bible, you're not actually reading God's word, you're not actually investigating Jesus. And you may be here investigating collective. You may be here investigating what your friends or family or even what I say about Jesus. But in order to truly investigate Jesus, you have to read what is written about him from the people who saw it firsthand. If you're sitting there and you don't know where to start, I would encourage you to start in the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the biographies of Jesus that's included in the Bible, and it's a very straightforward account, and it's fairly easy to understand. And I would challenge you to open it up today and start investigating so you can find out who was he, what did he do, and why does it matter in your own life? For those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time but feel like your relationship is stale, 
or your faith isn't quite where it used to be, or maybe you're about ready to give up on the church and collective is kind of your last shot, or this is your last season of opportunity because you don't know if your faith will last much longer, you need to investigate. Don't give up on Jesus because of past church experience. Don't give up on Jesus because of Christian experience. Get to know who Jesus is. Get to know how good God is. And the only way you can truly do that is through reading God's word. It's through reading the Bible. Because when you start reading, you'll actually read verses like this. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, you were set apart. Or sorry, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And when you read this, this should give you confidence, not because you're a prophet to the nations, that specifically was guided from Jeremiah to the Israelites, but these statements reveal a truth. It's not how God's approval comes to you, but when God's approval comes to you. See, it's not after you perform or once you make the cut or only if you succeed. God's approval isn't based on what you do. God's approval is based on whose image you're made in. And so the adversary will come to you and he will question God's words. He'll twist God's words. He'll come to you and say, did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say you would amount to something? Did God really say you would raise good kids? Did God really say that you are beautiful? Did God really say that if you honor him with your finances, he'll take care of you? Did God really say that being single can be a good thing? Did God really say that the Bible is perfect? Did God really say that Jesus is the path of salvation? You see, the adversary will put a question mark at the end of God's promise. And this leads to doubt, which leads us to disobey, which leads us away from the life that God has planned for us. And so Satan fulfills his purpose to kill, steal, and destroy. He does that by simply asking a question. This is why we have to know God's word. This is why we have to know what God says about us as people. This is why we have to know what God says about his love for us. This is why you have to read your Bible for yourself. That coming here and listening to me preach and can't be all that you do during the week. Because the way that we respond to the adversary is God's word. And Eve didn't know God's word. She had heard it. She forgot it. She misquoted him. She added a rule where there wasn't a rule. But if you know God's word, when the adversary gets in your head and that chatterbox starts going and doesn't stop, this is how you can respond. God says that I'm his masterpiece and his workmanship, Ephesians 2. He says that I'm established, 2 Corinthians 1. He says that I'm sealed with his promise, John 6. He says that I'm redeemed, Colossians 1. So when I face a specific question, I walk according to a specific truth. When I don't like myself very much in this moment, John 15 says that I'm loved. I don't seem to be gaining ground in this battle. Romans 8 says I am more than a conqueror. When I don't have confidence in myself right now, Deuteronomy 31 says I am strong and I'm courageous. When I don't know how to fix that part of my life, 1 Peter 2 says I am healed and I'm whole. I don't know how long I'll continue to struggle with the same old sin. 1 John 1, 9 says I am forgiven and I am free. How do I know? Because God said I am. And I just wonder if so much of the energy that we give the adversary when it comes to our insecurity, when we talk with other people about it, or when we pray about it, or even when we worry about it, I wonder if we use that same energy searching God's word for his promises that it wouldn't really be an insecurity anymore. So Satan asked, did God really say? And this is what happens, Genesis 3, verse 6. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, people all the time ask me, do I really believe that this happened? Like, do I really believe that there's this talking snake and Adam and Eve? And here's my answer to that. So if you're one of those people struggling with it, here's my answer. Jesus talks about this story as if he believes it to be true, as if he thinks it really happened. And so for me personally, I just go with Jesus every time. That's kind of my policy for life. My life is better because of that. And so I just default to Jesus. But for you personally, you have to read the story and figure out, what does this mean to you? Do you believe it? A few weeks ago in our Root Series, we talked about things that are essential and non-essential. And to be honest, your opinion about Genesis and how the world created is a non-essential. It doesn't take away the character of God. It doesn't change who he is. And so if you believe it literally happened or you believe it's figurative, here's the thing. The truth is still the truth. The point is still the same. And that's how the story continues in Genesis 3. This is what happens. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed together fig leaves together and made, a co- made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? So this is the moment that sin and brokenness and pain enter the world. And it begins the fall and ultimately the redemption of humanity through Jesus. And in the second part of the story, God actually asks two questions that are vital for us in figuring out how do we overcome insecurity. And the first question is this, who told you that you were naked? First, it's, what, it's about what was said. Did God really say? But the more important question is who said it? Who told you? I'd ask you the same thing. Who told you? Those things that you were insecure about, who told you? Who told you that you weren't worthy of God's love until you could clean yourself up? Who told you that you couldn't be forgiven of that one sin, even though you still struggle with it? Who told you that the way you look is not good enough because some of the features get airbrushed on magazine covers? Who told you that you have to be embarrassed about your car or your zip code? Who told you that the skills God has given you aren't any good and you won't make an impact? Who told you that when you speak, people are just waiting for you to stop because you won't have anything good to say? Who told you that you are coming up short and you always will as a parent, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a daughter? Who told you that you are stuck and doomed to die just like you are because of the thoughts and actions that have dominated your life up until now? Who told you that? Like, who told you that? Because I'll tell you who told you it was the adversary. That's what he does. And see, this comes down to an identity issue. Who are you? The core of every temptation that we face, we are ultimately being tempted to question in our hearts and contradict with our actions our true identity as God's children, the people that he loves. The question is, whose are we? This is why challenge you and push people to take that step and accept Jesus. Because the reality is it doesn't actually change how God sees you, but it drastically changes the reality in which you live. See, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not. You have always been made in God's image. You have always been loved. You have always been made with a purpose. But once you accept that truth and base your life on God's love for you, you live with purpose and you live in truth and you live with hope and you live in grace. 
And the reason why that's true is because of who you are, because of whose you are. If you haven't made that decision yet to put your faith in Jesus, the question is what's stopping you? In two weeks on September 2nd, we're going to set up the trough because we have multiple people who are ready to base their life on God's love for them, and they're going to get baptized. And some of you need to take that step. And for some of you, that's just the first step in a very long journey of figuring out God's love for you and figuring out how to work through insecurity and figuring out how to work through the pain and brokenness in your life. So if you're one of those people, check off baptism on your connection card. Come talk to me after service. Because ultimately, we want you to be in a place where you recognize God's love and purpose and value for you. My daughter Elise is three years old, and she isn't very brave. She just isn't. She's, like, afraid of everything. And so every Friday, we go to Chick-fil-A on dad dates. And for months, she would, go into the play, she would ask to go into the play place to slide down the slide. And so for months, she'd climb up to the top of the stairs, and right before you enter the tube, she would just stand there. Then she'd look down at me, and she'd say, I'm okay, and then climb back down. A few weeks ago, we were at Chick-fil-A with our friends and their son, Amos, who Elise is madly in love with. They're not here anymore. It's better. <laughs> they moved to New Jersey. I didn't kick them out because their son is in love with my daughter and vice versa, whatever. But Amos asked her, hey, do you want to go down the slide with me? And so, of course, she said yes. She always said yes. And so we let her go in there, and we just expected her to get to the top, get nervous, and climb back down. But this time, because Amos was there, she walked into the tube. A few minutes later, she came barreling down the slide, and at first she kind of had that look of being stunned and kind of fear on her face. Then she moved her hair out of her face. She stood up. She jumped off the edge of the slide, looking at me, and she went, I did it. And I immediately yelled back, yes, you did. And I picked her up, and I gave her this huge hug because I was just so proud of the step that she took. And it's in these moments when I realized that I need to be more like my three-year-old because I'm running around doing my own thing, and the adversary is running his mouth. He keeps telling me that I'm a bad dad, that I'm a bad pastor, that I'm a bad husband, that I don't read enough, that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not compassionate enough. And the adversary is doing the same thing to you. He's saying you aren't good enough. He's telling you you aren't skinny enough. You can't attract a spouse. You don't make enough money. You aren't a good enough parent. And you're trying to look at everyone around you to try and get their approval. But the whole time, God wants you to just look at him. He wants you to look at him so he can remind you just how proud of you he is, that he loves you, that you're created in his image and you are good. And he wants to set you free from the treadmill of seeking the approval of others. Like Elise, I just need to wait for the approval of my heavenly father to be content. The other question that God asks in this story to Adam and Eve is in Genesis 3, 9. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I love this because it shows God pursuing man and woman. From the very beginning, God has been pursuing humanity. From the very beginning, God has been pursuing you. And see, we don't just have insecurity about parenting or our marital status or school or money. We have insecurity about God. Because a lot of us struggle. We think we don't read our Bible enough. Or we engage in that sin more than we should and we can't help but going back to it. Or our prayer life doesn't reflect at all the belief of someone who actually believes that God answers prayers. Or when I look at my finances, they don't reflect trust in God that says, be generous and I'll pour out blessings on you. And so God is asking, where are you? He's saying to you right now, I'm looking for you. Right now, my daughter's favorite game is hide and seek. So before bed, every night, she actually runs to the top of the stairs and she yells down, ready, dad? 
And then I can hear her giggle and go sprinting down the hallway into her room so she can hide. And she always hides in the same two or three places. It's always the same two or three. Right now, it's the same one, the tent. And so, but I walk into the room and I pretend that I'm looking for her. I start asking, Elise, where are you? Where is she? You know, my wife's in the room like, Mom, I can't, I can't find her. And after a few moments of me looking, she starts to giggle. And then she starts to kind of move a bunch. And then after a while, if I don't actually find her, she'll say, he can't find me. I have no idea who she's talking to. But which, of course, makes her terrible at hide and seek. She's awful at it because the reality is she just wants to be found. But isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of hide and seek? The point of playing that game is to be found, not to be lost forever. And some of you have been hiding for a very long time. Maybe you sneak in here, you show up a little bit late, you leave a little bit early because you're trying to be hidden. What we want you to know is that we want to find you. And the reason why we want to find you is because God wants to find you. So God calls out to Adam, where are you? And this was after they messed everything up. This was after they sinned. This wasn't when everything was perfect. This wasn't before they had disobeyed. This wasn't before they had rejected the life that God has to offer. This was after. This was after they had literally messed everything up for the rest of humanity. And God says, where are you? I'm looking for you. Come back to me. I still want a relationship with you. And he's saying the same thing to you right now. I think some of you don't want to be found because you're afraid. This goes back to the insecurity thing that we talked about earlier that religion teaches. You're afraid because you think you are too broken or too sinful or too messed up. But check this out. Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. First, that's good, right? Like the first command God gives us is to go eat things. But the first thing he ever says to people is you may freely eat. The first command is not one of restriction, but one of freedom. And so you're hiding from God because you think he wants to give you a bunch of rules to constrain you. But God wants to set you free. Yes, he will give you some rules, but the rules create freedom. Rules lead to freedom if they are given by a good law giver. You know, we want to drive on the highway and not get into accidents, so we have rules. Stop at a red light, drive on the right side, follow the speed limit. And if people follows, follow those, we can get to where we want safely. God wants to set you free. Free from the chatterbox, free from the adversary, free from the insecurities that the world or religion have put into your head, and ultimately free from your sin. That's his goal. Freedom is what he wants for us. First Timothy 2 says, Jesus gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Romans 6 says, now you are free from the power of sin and have become servants of God. Galatians 5 says, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God because he is the one who called you to freedom. Titus 2 says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Revelation 1.5 says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And 1 Peter 2 simply says, you are free. Jesus wants to set you free. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. That's why he came to this place. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to do it for eternity. So he died in your place. He took your sin upon himself, the sin of unbelief, the sin of selfishness, the sin of trying to be good enough, and maybe most importantly today, the sin of trying to drum up enough confidence to finally believe in yourself. 
believing in yourself doesn't work. Instead, believe in the God who died for you and rose again. I don't know what's causing your insecurity. I don't know if your insecurity stems from empty success or family drama where people are criticizing you and you're starting to think maybe they're right and it is your fault. I don't know if your insecurity is coming from an unknown future based on a terrible tragedy that you're going through right now, but I do know that there's a person who wants to give you freedom. He will forgive your sin. He will give you grace. He wants to find you. He wants to tell you that you are made in his image and he wants to tell you that you are good. He wants to tell you that you are worth every single bit of everything he had to give, including his own life. And following him will lead you to the best life you can ever imagine. But we have a choice. Do we listen to the adversary or the advocate? Do we listen to the adversary who puts question marks at the end of God's promises and twist what God said? Or we do, do we listen to the advocate who went before us and gave his life for us so that we can live? Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are our advocate. God, that you don't just stand on the sideline, but you go before us. You champion us. You care for us. You fight for us. God, I know that every single one of us in this room struggles with that chatterbox, that voice inside of our head that tells us that we are just not good enough. So God, I pray this week as we hear that voice, we kind of get lulled into that place. God, ultimately that we focus on you and we realize that's not what you said about us. That God, there's things that the chatterbox tries to put in us and tries to take away from us or tries to twist and, and turn our thoughts and how we feel about ourselves or even how we feel about other people. God, ultimately that doesn't come from you. God, I pray this week that we recognize that we are made in your image and you see us as good. And God, that you think that we are so worth it that you sent your son to die in our place. God, for some reason you believe we're worth it all. So I pray this week that we focus on that and that alone. And God, ultimately you take that adversary, you take that chatterbox right out of our head. God, give us the strength to do that this week. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.